You're listening to Southside Baptist Church Podcast with our pastor, Dr. Jeff Parker. For more audio content, please refer to our website at ssbaptistchurch.com. Last Sunday, Jeffrey and I uh, went to the ICU there at University Hospital to visit a family in which a man a year older than I am, about 57 years of age, was... was um, was probably going to die. Uh, This past week, he walked this friend through this time of losing his dad as we were at the funeral home and uh, and then at the funeral. And I don't know about you, but in our lives and in the lives of the people that we love, sooner or later, you and I are going to go through a storm. And one of the things that we've looked at in this series is basically we've asked the question, how can I storm-proof my life? Now, that doesn't mean that you're not going to go through storms. What that means is as you go through those storms, it's not going to destroy you in the process. If you remember, Job, in in his situation, Satan was using those storms to try to destroy Job. But Job was storm-proof. Now, the question is, how can you and I build a life that is storm-proof? I want you to take your Bibles and look again at Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6 as Jesus is closing out what I consider to be the greatest sermon that was ever preached on the earth by the greatest preacher. And and what Jesus is doing is he's saying to the, to the people that he's speaking to on this during the sermon on the mount as he's closing it out he's he's saying to them listen I want you to not only listen and hear my word, but I want you to take this and apply it to your life because I want you to understand this sooner or later storms are going to come. Now, in Luke chapter 6, beginning at verse 46, he said, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? He said, I will show you what he is like who comes to me, hears my words, puts them into practice. He is like a man building a house who dug down deep. He laid the foundation on rock. Now watch this. When a flood came, when the storm came, when the rain began to beat, when the wind began to beat against that house, the torrent or the storm struck that house, but listen, watch this, but it could not, NIV says, but it could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my word and does not put them into practice is like a man who builds a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent, the storm, the wind, the waves, and the, and the rain begins to beat against that house, he says, Jesus said, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. Years ago when Sheila and I, when we lived in England, I would often go to a little place, it was in St. Austell, uh, there in the, in, on the coast of the English Channel. Uh, sometimes I would go and I would eat a, a scone, well, they call it a biscuit. Well, no, they call a scone a bit. We call a biscuit what they call a scone. They call a, a biscuit what we call a cookie, so I have to think a minute. But anyway, I'd go there and I'd get me a cup of tea and I'd get me a scone and I would sit there and I would look at this harbor. 
And I want you to know sometimes the English channel, could ju- it would be dark and the wind would be blowing and, and waves would begin to beat up. And, and as you walked up to this place there, nestled in this rocky area there in St. Austell, there was a harbor there. And these large clipper ships, it looked like masks taller than this building were lifted up. And that storm would just be beginning to rage out there in the English channel. And then you'd look and in that harbor... It would be like glass. And I want you and I to understand something. That as stormy as the world is, our homes should be a harbor. Okay, I want you to pray with me. Our Heavenly Father, we just pray that the power of your Holy Spirit, dear Lord, would speak to every single one of us. Lord, we ask you, dear Lord, to move in a mighty way. We pray, dear Lord, in a stormy world that we live in, that our homes will be a place of refuge, a harbor. And Father, we pray, dear Lord, that right now that you wrap your arms around this congregation, that you fill us with your Holy Spirit, and that you remind us that your love will never run out on us. Father, may you do what only you can do. And we pray that every one of us, including the one who's speaking, that my heart and the hearts of the listeners are, dear Lord, tuned into you. And dear Lord, if there's any sin, any thought, any deed, anything in our life that would hinder your Holy Spirit from working in us or through us, we pray right now for cleansing. And we give you the glory for what you'll do in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Let me ask you a question this morning. Is your home a harbor? In other words, is your home a place of refuge? In other words, no matter how stormy that job may be, no matter how stormy school may be, no matter how how difficult trials and temptations and those things out there in the world, when you come into your house, when you walk into the door, do you just kind of go, man, I'm glad to be home. It's a good feeling. Now, I'm not just simply talking about a traditional family here of husband, wife, and children. I'm talking to a senior adult who may live alone. I'm talking to a college student who walks in their dorm. I'm talking about a single person who has an apartment. I'm talking about where you live, your life, is it a harbor? Is it a place that you go because it's a refuge? And I want you to understand something. That we are living in a day, and maybe you're right there right now, that the tragedy is is that your home is not a harbor. In fact, it's more stormy than the sea. You see, a lot of times if your home and my home, if it is not a place of refuge, if it's not a place of peace, if it's not a place that we just walk in and go, man, I'm glad to be home. Used to years ago, every Monday, Sheila fried chicken. I mean, buddy, like clockwork. On Monday supper, it was fried chicken. Mashed, but you getting hungry? Mashed potatoes, gravy. Sometimes she'd make gravy. It looked more like wallpaper paste, but you know she tried anyway. But she never, Sheila never mastered gravy. It's been a source of tension in our home through the years. But man, string beans or black-eyed peas or something, cornbread, man, she'd fix a dessert. And, 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 and you know, it was hard getting all those teenagers home, but we knew when there was fried chicken. Buddy, every one of the kids were going to be at the house. And usually they were going to bring somebody with them. 
And I want you to know something. When we would walk into that home and smell that chicken cooking, man, it was like, man, it feels good to be home. You see, last week we looked at this. If you and I are going to build a storm-proof house, if we're going to build a storm-proof home, then number one, who's your contractor? Let's say it together. Who's your contractor? That's right, God. God is your contractor. Your contractor is God. And we said this, that when God is your contractor, what that means is this. Imagine Jesus showing up with a hard hat. He's got an old yellow hard hat on. He, listen, he's got the blueprints. Here they are. What are they? Here they are right here. He's got the blueprints up under his arm. He walks up to your house and he said, well, let's get busy. Let's make this home stormproof. So God is to be your contractor's God. Psalm 127 says this, except the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain that build it. In other words, what, what Solomon said to every single one of us, and they were the words of his father David. He said, your contractor is God. You may say, well, Brother Jeff, why are we going over this again? Number one, because we lost it on the website last week. For the first time. There are people out there that listen on our website that listen, they need to hear that. They need to understand it. We had people calling last week saying, where's the message? But I want it to be worth repeating for every single person in this room. Your contractor is God. What does that mean? Two things. Your house, your home, your marriage, your family, your single life is built on the Word of God. Every decision that you and I make is guided by the Word of God. Now that is critical. You and I are constantly coming, for God, coming before God, consulting the blueprints, taking spiritual principles out of this word, out of this book, and we are applying them to our hearts. Deuteronomy chapter 6, and you dealt with it a little bit in Sunday school. You and I are to take the spiritual principles of God's word, and we are not only to impress them into our lives, parents, where are we to impress them? Into the lives of who? In our children. This is not the vacillating, changing opinions of the world. You see, God is immutable. What that means is God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's what God says about His Word. God's not looking at you and I and saying, well, let me see, maybe I need to rethink this. Well, let me see, just in, in Jeff's case, maybe I need to rethink this. God's not that way. And parent, you and I need to understand that when we build our lives on the Word of God, to, in an essence, we are building it on spiritual principles that don't change. Now that's critical. Let me ask you something, Mom and Dad. Are there some things in your life and in your home that are non-negotiables? Single person, are there some things in your life that are non-negotiable? Let me give you an example. In our home... Church was not negotiable. Okay? One of them say, Dad, I don't feel good today. Can you breathe? Can you fog this mirror? Oh, you qualify to go to church. You see, it was a non-negotiable. I want you to know something. When we had our children, the first thing that we did was we immediately got them into church. We wanted them to be in the house of God. We wanted them to meet our family. We wanted them to interact with our family. And my friend, immediately our children begin to understand this thing of church is important to us. 
In a day when some preachers can't keep their kids in church, once they get grown, they're gone. Our children have invested their life in the church. Is there some things that are non-negotiable? You see, parent, what the Bible says, Proverbs 22, 6 says, you and I are to train up our child in the way they should go. And when they're old, they'll not depart from it. And what that means is we are to train them up in the spiritual principles of God's Word. Teach them the Word of God. You see, if God is your contractor and He's my contractor in our home, then we're going to have these spiritual principles that we are in the process of not only impressing into our lives, we are impressing them into the lives of our children. We teach our children so they know something counterfeit. My cousin for years and retired from the Secret Service. And every time we'd get a family get-together, man, we would just, we'd just hone in. We'd want to hear the latest adventure. And he was way up. He was in the top four of the, of the Secret Service. So, man, we heard all kinds of stories. Man, he'd tell us. I remember him telling us one time we were leading a dignitary through Cincinnati. And he said we got in a high-speed chase and said when the, the car that we were chasing wrecked. And when, and when it wrecked and it finally came to a standstill, he said we got out. And he said a big old Rottweiler, Jeff, came out of that car and was coming straight at us. And we said, what'd you do, what'd you do? He said, I shot him right in the head. We used to love to hear those stories. But the one thing that we learned was in, the, in, in, in that, that area of government, in the area of counterfeit bills, was that when they would study and prepare to be able to determine whether a bill was counterfeit or not, they never studied a single, single counterfeit bill. They studied the real thing. They knew it so well that, listen, they could tell a counterfeit. You see, this is parent, what we are doing. This is what you're doing, single, college student. You and I are literally investing our lives in the blueprints of God's Word because, hear me, we need to understand it so we know a counterfeit. There are times when we're watching TV, when our kids were growing up, you know what we'd say? I would say, I don't believe that, or that's not true. It didn't matter whether it was Tom Brokaw saying it on 530 News. Parent, you and I need to understand that our authority is not the TV that hangs on our wall. Our authority is the Word of God. And when those authorities conflict, we need to be the first one to say, we don't believe that. That's not something we believe. That's not something we hold to. So this home, the contractor's God. This home is built on the Word of God. I love, i tell you one thing I love about this iPhone. Whoo! Emily told me, said, Dad, this is like a computer in your hand. She's right. Now, every iPhone owner ought to understand this. You can get an app that has the Bible. Now, isn't that amazing? A lot of mornings I, get, I shave and the first thing I do is I put it on Galatians or Ephesians. And, and Reggie, while I'm shaving, I've got somebody reading it while I'm shaving. You see, we're, kind, we're, we're the kind of people who say, well, you know, I'm just too busy. I don't have time to get in the Word of God. My friend, you ought to be ashamed of yourself. Your phone today can get you in the Word of God. Wow. And this home, your contractor is God. This is a home that's built on the Word of God. And this is a home that's built on prayer. In fact, it's not just built on prayer, it's bathed in prayer. Luke 18, 1, Jesus said men ought always to pray and never give up. Now let me ask you, parent. Let me ask you, college student. Let me ask you, single parent. Is God, is prayer something you go to only in a storm? Man, kids will pick up on that. People will pick up on that. Are you a, are you a storm only prayer? 
You know, I wrote this down. The reason Tim Tebow's stance has become so popular is because the world hasn't seen much of it, and especially so often. You see, we're a nation. We tend to just go to God when there's a storm, right? All of a sudden, 911, we've ran to God, and as soon as things begin to calm down, we begin to run the other way. You see, is God your contractor? Because if He is, your house is built on, on the Bible. It's built on the Word of God. It's built on prayer. And secondly, your children are God's. G-O-D apostrophe S, not little g-o-d-s. In Psalm 127, verses 3 through 5, the Bible says this, the psalmist said that your children, my children, are heritage. They're a reward. They're a gift from God. They are weapons in your hand, parent, against your enemy, the devil, after you're dead and gone. Men, let me say this. Dads, let me say this. Moms, let me say this. Single parent, let me say this. When you are the spiritual leader in your home, when you're in the Word of God, when you're in prayer, when you're taking your children and keeping them in church, you are sharpening those arrows, checking the straightness of them to ensure that they'll fly correctly. That's what you and I are involved in. In fact, parent, repeat with me. My children are God's property on loan to me. Let's say that together. My children are God's property on loan to me. Say it like you mean it. My children are God's property on loan to me. Okay? They're an investment. So you and I, if we're going to build a home that is storm-proof then we're going to build a home that, listen, is centered on the Word of God. Your contractor's God. He's going to center it on the Word of God. He's going to show up every day with the blueprints. And He's going to say to you and I, bathe every decision we make in prayer. And then your children are God's property on loan to you. But I want you to look today at one more thing. How do you keep the harbor from getting stormy? How do you build the kind of home that you want to come home to? Because if you and I were honest, a lot of times what what happens is our home becomes so stormy, we don't want to go in it. There are men that they'd rather go to the bar than go home. There are women that work a job and they think, I just dread going home. There are children that get out of school. You know children sometimes have met us. You know children a lot of times on this sidewalk here. You know what they say to the people that drive our vans? You know what they say? Can we just stay here? We don't want to go home. I want you to take your Bibles and from Luke there, I want you to take a left and look at Matthew chapter 4. Because I want to, I want to share with you four quick, re, four quick things that you and I may need to consider when we're building a, a home. And we want a home that is a harbor and not stormy. Because if your harbor is stormy, I want to give you four reasons why your harbor may be stormy today. Why your home may be stormy today. Are you there? I want you to look at Mark chapter 4, beginning at verse 35. Now watch this. I love this. This is a great story for parents to tell their children. Mark chapter 4, verse 35. You see it? Did I say it correctly? Oh, okay, okay, okay. I'm a little tired. I was up and down last night. Mark chapter 4. 
verse 35. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along, just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves began to break over the boat, so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care that that we're about to drown? He got up. He rebuked the wind. He said to the waves, Quiet. In the Greek, that's muzzle it. Quiet, muzzle it. Be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Now watch verse 41. They were terrified and they asked each other, Who is this that even the wind and the waves obey? And let me give you four reasons why your harbor may be stormy. You ready for them? Write them down because let me me put it in the positive. These are four things that if you'll ensure that they don't happen, it'll make your home a lot more pleasant to live in. Everybody ready? Nod your head. Okay, number one, first of all, four reasons why your harbor may be stormy is you may be selling your own ship. Look at verse 35 here. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, what's the two words there? What's those first two words in the NIV is what? Let us. Let us. You see, those are critical words. What the disciples were, they were under the instruction of Jesus Christ. Jesus said to these men, He said, look, let us go over to the other side. In other words, what Jesus was saying, I'm your navigational officer. I'm not only your contractor, I'm the one that you consult. I'm the one that's guiding you and keeping you in the will of God. Hear me, storm, sometimes our harbor, sometimes our homes become stormy, sometimes our lives become stormy because we are moving outside of the will of God. We're selling our own ship. Some of you right now, you may be in a financial storm. Okay, you're in a financial storm right now. You're unable to make ends meet. But if you were honest, you would say, if I were to sit down with you, you'd say, Brother Jeff, one of the reasons that we're in a financial storm right now is we are outside of the will of God. You may have charged up credit cards. You may have spent money that you didn't have. You know, it's amazing. We spend money that we don't have to impress people we don't like with stuff we don't need. Isn't that right? And you see, you and I, sometimes we find ourselves in a storm because we are outside of God's will and we've not consulted God or sought God's advice. We've not gone to the Word of God. We don't listen. We're just out there sailing in the middle of a storm. And you know what we'll do a lot of times? We'll begin to pray and say, Oh, God, set me free. God, deliver me from this financial mess that I'm in. And sometimes God doesn't do it. Sometimes God doesn't answer our prayer. And you know why? Because God's trying to teach us a lesson. You see, sometimes the harbor becomes stormy because the harbor is out of the will of God. Hear me. I beg you to listen to me. There are some wives and children that are going through the storm of the dad or the husband. 
because he's got the family out of the will of God. There are some moms here, and there may be, there may be some single parents here that are listening right now on the web. Their kids are going through a storm right now. They're riding out the storm of mom's disobedience by getting out of the will of God and getting involved in a relationship that God has no part of. We hear more women today that say, I've got to have a man. You've got a man. And his name is Jesus. A lot of times we're selling our own ships. We're making our own decisions. We're in storms that God never intended for us to be in. In fact, let's just ask ourselves the question, is this a storm of your own making? Are you in a storm because you didn't follow the leadership of God? You weren't in His Word. You weren't in prayer. You were out there just sailing out there on the ocean, unconcerned and oblivious to God's guidance. Let me give you something. If the answer to that question, if you're in a storm right now, and the answer to that is, yes, I am, let me give you three things real quickly that you ought to do. Number one, you confess and repent immediately. What does that mean? You just simply say to God, God, I'm in a storm right now. This is a storm of my own making. God, I moved outside of your will. I didn't bathe this in prayer. I made this decision oblivious to you, God. I didn't consult you. I didn't ask your thoughts. I didn't pray over this, God. This is a storm that I created. And you confess. What you do, you just simply say, God, I was wrong. I confess and I repent. And then secondly, you take full responsibility for it. You don't say it's his fault, her fault. You don't say it's my circumstances. It's not this. It's not that. It's just simply, God, I take full responsibility for this. And then third, now listen to this, and you wait on God. Listen, don't try to fix it. Sometimes people get into something and they realize, you know, I I am out of God's will. And you know what the first thing? they, They don't confess and repent. They don't take responsibility and and instead they just try to bail out of the boat. They just try to get out of it. Psalm 37 verse 7 says this. In the New Living Translation it says, Be still in the presence of the Lord and wait patiently for Him to act. Sometimes our harbor is stormy because we are out of the will of God. You know sometimes as a family, sometimes we need to gather together and say, listen, I realize right now we're in a storm. You imagine right now if a dad were to look at a family and say, I know we're in a storm right now, but I I want you to know something, kids. I take full responsibility for this. I didn't listen to your mama. I didn't listen to our pastor. I didn't listen to godly counsel. I didn't listen to this. I didn't. And kids, do you remember dad never prayed over this? I just simply made this decision. And I want you to know something. The reason we're going through hard times right now, this is not always the case because we know too that good people, righteous people, Job went through an enormous storm that was simply because he was a good man. But let's face it, sometimes in our society, in our lives, we're going through storms because they're storms that we created. Because we are outside of the will of God. Now secondly, quickly, you're not only selling your own ship, are you sinking it? You say, what do you mean? Look at verse 37. These disciples had a problem. It says, a furious squall, a storm came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Now I want you to think about this. Think about that boat as being your home. Think about that world, uh, think about the water being the world. Okay? A boat rides on water. 
You see, the boat represents your home, and when the storms come, what the storms are trying to do, what the enemy's trying to do, he's trying to take the world and put it over into your boat, into your home, so that he can sink you. That's what the enemy wants. John 10.10 says this, Satan comes to, listen to this, to kill, to steal, and what? And to destroy. You see, that's what the enemy wants to do to your marriage. That's what the enemy wants to do to your home. That's what the enemy wants to do to your children. Do you understand, parent, that your child has an enemy and that enemy's the devil? And that enemy is aggressively going after your son, your daughter. And you may say, well, I've got mine grown now. That's no reason to quit praying. Man, that enemy's still busy. But your enemy is not only wanting you to sail your own ship so that your harbor will be stormy, your enemy is wanting you to sink your own ship. You see, stay with me here. What happens is we allow the world to seep into our harbor, into our home. Jesus said you're to be in the world but not of it. But the reality is is that we are... Let me give you an example. If somebody was sitting over here and... Afterwards, after the service, you came up and we were talking and I looked over and I said, you see that person right there? And, they, and, and, and you said, yeah, I see him. And you waved and said, yeah, that's so-and-so. And I looked at you and said, wait a minute. Do you know that person? Oh, yes, I do. Are you a friend of that person? Yes, I am. Well, I tell you what, you're my enemy. Imagine that. Somebody were to come into this congregation, come into this assembly... They were to sit down in this place. And at the end of the service, as that person was walking out, making their way, all of a sudden you said, well, that's so so and so And you waved and, and you called them by name. And I looked at you and said, is that a friend of yours? You know that person? Yes, I do. Are you a friend of that person? Yes, I am. Do you spend time with that person? Yes, I do. Well, I want you to know something. You're my enemy and I'll never talk to you again. And I leave. I am so incensed that you would have a friendship with that person that I simply cannot be around you any longer. That is a holy God. We serve a God that says to us, if you're a friend of the world, you're my enemy. Why? Because that world has the ability to sink your life and my life. And it's so easy to allow a small leak in our home And over time, we begin to see our home is sinking deeper and deeper into the things of the world. And you may be here today and you say, well, I just keep a small area. My friend, if you keep a small area, I want you to know something. Christ is not Lord of that harbor. And it's going to get stormy in time. You may think, well, I can control it. Listen to me. No, you can't. Some people say, well, you know, I can control this relationship or I can keep it in check or I can allow this little bit. No, you can't. You see, our enemy understands this. If we're not careful, instead of riding on top of the world, we're in it, we're not of it, we begin to sink down in it. Hell's box office. I can control it. I can control Hell's box office. I can control Cinemax. I can control those movie channels. If you are a... Listen, if you are a man in this room, no, you can't. So get rid of it. 
You say, Pastor, what do you mean? I mean this, there are some ships that don't have far to sink. You see, that's the way our enemy works. Then three, and then thirdly, two more. Listen to this. Watch this in verse 39. Jesus got up and rebuked the wind and said to the waves. But I want you to notice something here. In verse 38, where is Jesus? Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. I think sometimes when you and I, if we're not careful, Jesus is compartmentalized. And maybe I'm, Reggie, maybe I'm stretching this a little bit. But when it said they went across to the other side and they took Him, that is Jesus, just as He was. You know what Jesus did? Jesus did what I used to do when I was a kid. When I was a kid, we had an old galaxy, an old 1962 galaxy, red with them old wings on it. You know, you remember seeing that? Anybody seen those? I know, I know I'm old. But boy, we'd be crazy. There wasn't no seat belts, no air conditioning, nothing. But you roll the windows down, you're doing about 80 heading to grandma's house in the two-lane highway. You know, we didn't know what a car seat was or nothing. So a lot of times when, when we got to going good, man, I'd, I'd turn around and I'd put my knees down on the, floor, on, the, on the back floorboard. There were six of us in that family, and so there were three on the front and three in the back. And I'd lay my head on the seat, and I could go sound asleep. That's the picture of Jesus. He just laid his head on the seat there where they kept, where they stowed the gear and he was out like a light. And you know what the disciples did? In some ways I kind of picture them as compartmentalizing Jesus. They tucked him away. He was over here. He was out of the way. And then when the storm begins to come and it gets worse and worse, all of a sudden they go back there and wake him up and say, Jesus, don't you care? We're about to die. Get up! Isn't that the way some of our prayer life is? Isn't that the way we are sometimes in our prayer life? Lord, get up, get up, wake up. Let me ask you something. Why didn't they wake them up a long time ago? Why did they wait till the storm got this bad before they ever involved him? I don't know about you, but listen to me. If I were in a storm at the first sign of a dark cloud, I might have went back and said, hey, Jesus, Jesus, Lord, could you imagine waking Jesus up? <laughs> Sovereign of the universe. God in the flesh. Lord, Lord. And if it's like Sheila, Sheila doesn't sleep, she goes into a coma. Lord, Lord, Lord. Uh, uh, it, the weather's really, Lord, the weather's really looking bad. You see the bad storm clouds, a lot of lightning. And uh, Lord, could you, uh, could you maybe take care of it? Let me tell you what the disciples do to what so many of us do and the reason our homes become so stormy is God is some kind of last resort. We kind of compartmentalize. We say to God, God, listen, I'm not going to bother you with this one. I'm going to ride out the storm. Or God, I'm going to use my own means. Or I'm going to figure this out myself. Hear me, listen to me. When you and I do that, if God is not the first resort, if God is the last resort, why are our homes stormy? I can tell you why. Because He's not Lord. Stormy homes are angry homes. Did you hear that? Stormy homes are angry homes. Now last, fourth. 
Storms can be an opportunity to see a sovereign Savior. Now this is, a, this is a positive point. I want you to see this. Watch this. Verse 39, he got up, he rebuked the wind, he said to the waves, muzzle it, quiet, be still. And the wind died down and it was completely calm. Storms can be life-changing. They can be an opportunity for a family to gather around or a single person or a senior adult or somebody to come to that point that all of a sudden they stop. Storms can be a faith-building time in our lives. Storms can be a time when we put Christ in a rightful place and we make Him Lord. We say, Lord. You imagine that scene as the Bible said He got up. He walked up to the, to the bow, of that sh- bow of that boat he looked out, boy, those waves were raging. Man, the dark, sinister clouds were just looming down there. There was lightning, there was thunder. I mean, it was unbelievable. It was a storm that this old seasoned fisherman by the name of Peter literally was shaking in his boots. I mean, he was so afraid. And all of a sudden, Jesus looks out across there and he says, Shut it up! Muzzle it! Quiet! And the Bible says that that sea became like glass, the wind and the waves settled. They recognized that, Lord, you're sovereign over my storm, you're the supplier in my storm, and you are the sanctuary through my storm. You see, when Jesus Christ is in in his rightful place, guess what's going to happen to that home? It will be a harbor. You know, I used to go up there to Community Bank and I'd walk in there and I'd, I'd say, could I, could I need to see my daughter-in-law, Alicia. And I'd walk up there and I'd go in and, and uh, she had a desk, she had an office upstairs or a desk in the middle of this big area. And I'd walk up there and I'd go up them stairs and when I would come into that point, it was like, it was like coming into a place that was somewhat holy. And you see, whether you're a college student with a dorm room, whether you're a single parent trying to raise your kids in a a place that may be very difficult, may be crime-ridden, there may be a lot of things, a lot of forces there that are working against you. But mom, you make that home a harbor. You put the Word of God at the very center of that home. You bathe every decision in prayer. And I want you to know something, no matter where you are, God will take your home. He'll take that testimony of that home. He'll make it such a peaceful harbor that it will draw people from everywhere people will come. Makes all the difference in the world. When He's in His rightful place, your home will be a harbor and it'll be at peace. Let me, let me just, uh, real quickly and then we'll close. I just wrote down here the power of home. Number one, no matter where we are, we quickly sought to make it home. I mean, no matter, we've been all over the world. We get to Africa, the first thing we did, we try to settle and make it home. We got to England, we tried to make it home. No matter where we've been, we've always tried to make it home. When we have Thanksgiving and Christmas meals here to homeless, you know what we try to do? We try to make it home. 
We go running down there. I tell you this much. I mean, I'm here about six something in the morning. Kathy and Johnny, Janice, some of these people are here by seven o'clock, if, if not earlier. And we're, to, listen, we're setting up those tables. We're setting out those place settings. We've got Christmas music playing. We've got food cooking. We're making coffee. We've got the Christmas tree lit up. We've got that place. We've got it bathed in prayer and filled with such a peacefulness that as people come in off those streets, they feel like you'll see them. I'm home. I'm home. Wow. Power. The power of home. The power of you taking a dormitory room and making that a place where God abides in that dormitory. This is home. No matter where you are. You may be at South Down Arms. This apartment, this is home. This is not just my home. This is the home of Christ. And here there's peace. In your neighborhood, there may be stormy families and stormy marriages and stormy homes, but your house is a place where people feel peace. Your Sunday school room, but your life, your life. You see, ultimately, we may say this about home, But the bottom line is, is your life and my life is home. It's home of the Holy Spirit. It is the home of the Lord. It is a place. You know what the Bible says? You know what we do? You know what the Bible says? The Bible says, we don't have time to see this, but I think it's in Matthew 10. When we go anywhere, you know what the Bible says? When we go anywhere, it says we can bring peace to that place. Isn't that powerful? Jesus said, my peace I leave unto you. Not the world's peace, my peace I give unto you. In other words, what Jesus says, I come into your heart, I listen, I will give you a peace that the world doesn't understand. And you'll not only be at peace in the midst of a stormy world, listen, everywhere you go, you'll take my peace. In fact, Jesus said this, if you go to a home and you say, peace be to this house, if they don't receive it, then take it back. Wow. So that where you and I go, there's peace. Let me ask you this. Is there peace in your life today? Jesus said in Revelation 3.20, He said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man will hear my voice and open the door, He said, I'll come in and fellowship with them and he with me. You know what Christ does every day? He's knocking on the doors of people's stormy lives. And he's saying, let me come in. Why don't you open up? You know, in, Matthew, you know, in Luke 6, 47, he said, these who build their house on a solid rock, he said, they come to me, they hear my word, and they put it into practice. Jesus says, why don't you let me in? When those disciples finally said, Lord, get up. Please, Lord, get up. We're about to drown. You know what the Bible says? Settledness came over. Johnny Cash, with all of his fame and stardom, with all that the world could give him, his life was stormy. Drugs, alcohol, he was in an unbelievable storm. On May 9th, 1971, Johnny Cash was so desperate, so broken, his life so stormy, that he sat in the pew of a small country church in his hometown. That preacher preached a simple gospel message. And Johnny Cash, this man who had everything that the world could offer, who had the celebrity and the popularity of Elvis Presley in those days, they said that old Johnny Cash stood up 
And he came down to that old wooden altar and he gave his life to Christ. My friend, that's what Christ wants to do in your life. He not only wants to make where you live calm and peaceful, a place that is a harbor from the storm, he wants to make your life that. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we just come to you right now. And Lord, we realize that, dear Lord, we have the opportunity to receive you into our hearts and into our lives. That, Lord, in the midst of a stormy, broken, turbulent world, you can bring a peace and a calmness that, dear Lord, can be so refreshing. That, dear Lord, you can not only bring a peace and a calmness to our homes so that they are a harbor to our family, so that husbands and wives and children and singles and senior adults and college students can build the kind of place that they want to come home, home to. But Lord, more than that, you can build that even into our lives. And Father, we pray right now that if there's a man or a woman, a boy or a girl, a young person here, that they look at their heart, they look inside of them and they say, it's so stormy in here. I don't even want to be in my own life. We saw this past week as Stuart Irby took his life. Lord, sometimes the enemy would convince us that our lives are so stormy, they're so messed up that nothing can fix them and the enemy laughs as somebody takes their own life. Father, there may be some here, but I pray that may the power of Your Holy Spirit May the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ move into that life right now, that they would open up and say, Lord, come in. I know it's a mess, Lord. I'm ashamed of it. But Lord, come into it. Lord, begin to cleanse it and rebuild it. Lord, begin to just remove all of this filth and this rubbish, rubbish and rubbish. And Lord, make it home. Make it a place, dear Lord, that will be peaceful. And Lord, give me that ability to take that peace and dispense it into a stormy world so that everywhere I go, I take peace. Father, we pray that you'll just encourage people right now to invite you into their hearts by saying, Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. But Lord, I ask you to come into my heart. Forgive me of my sin. And right now, be my Lord and my Savior. I thank you, Jesus. And I pray this in your name. Amen. I'm going to ask.